So we have to get our generation. I don't know how old you are, but I'm assuming you're around my age. Yeah. We have to get our generation, our generation back into the swing of things. We cannot wait till we get 55, 60 to actually start caring about politics. You know, we're coming up on Medicare age. We can't wait for that long because we won't even have a damn planet to live on if we don't get involved now. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Awesome. First try. I usually have a little bit of trouble with uh, online calls, so that's really good to hear. How's it going, Isaiah? Uh, good. I just got done speaking at uh, another event for veterans, so I figured I'd take off the tie and the glasses and look a little bit less formal. No, I like it. Uh, we're pretty casual at the show anyway. Um, do you want to give everyone a quick introduction to yourself? Um, can you see me or no? Yeah, I can see you. Sorry. I, I've got the camera being used for the stream, but I can actually mirror it if you want to see me as well. Oh, we're being streamed. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. We're, we're live right now. <laughs> okay. So that I, I'm looking down at my phone because I'm thinking like nobody can see me. All right. Cool. <laughs> so, no worries. I'll, I can edit this all out. It'll, it'll be the magic nah, editing. I'm a regular everyday dude. So <laughs> uh, Isaiah James, 35 years old. I am a veteran. I'm senior policy advisor for the Black Veterans Project. Uh, I'm also running for Congress out here in, in New York. Um, before that, community organizer, you know, organizing around housing rights and, and veterans issues. And like I said, I'm just a normal everyday dude. You know what I mean? I'm looking forward to this conversation, our conversation tonight. And I hope your streamers have some questions. You know what I mean? I don't really like to talk about myself. I like to answer the questions and to get deep into the issues, whatever they may be. So I'm looking forward to doing that on the stream tonight. Well, why don't we start by me asking, what is the Black Veterans Project? Ah, I'm glad you asked that. So the Black Veterans Project is, we're a 501c3, you know, we're a nonprofit organization. And, you know, the, the image of the veteran has been kind of co-opted in this country to think that everybody who serves looks like Pat Tillman, you know, a square-jawed white guy from you know, the middle of America, and that's just not true. Veterans come in all shapes and sizes and colors, and ta-da, I'm one. And uh, throughout our history as a nation, you know, our country's had some problems with race, and that has not escaped the military, and that has not escaped veterans after they leave the military, you know. And a lot of our work is centered around telling that story and, and preserving that legacy and fighting for, you know, benefits of those who served, who are black and in uniform, and when they come out, they don't get those benefits. And we have all the data and stuff to back it up, because I know there are going to be some people to say, you know, that's not true, but trust me, the data goes all the way back to the Civil War, believe it or not. And we're trying to right those wrongs in history and trying to preserve the legacy of those veterans and to make the Army a more equitable place moving forward. Not, not just the Army, but I served in the Army, that's why I say Army, but the Armed Service a more equitable and egalitarian place moving forward. Uh, I know you're a very progressive candidate. Do you think that this has been an issue when you say it's co-opted, that it's something that either people on the left or people from a progressive standpoint don't usually like to talk about, either like, you know, venerating veterans or uh, the treatment of uh, veterans post their service? Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, whether you agree with the reasons, you know, of our foreign policy, I don't agree with them at all. And I served three tours in combat. And I can tell you right now, the reason we went to Iraq and Afghanistan was a goddamn lie. It was an in total lie. The war was a 
complete lie. It was a waste of trillions of dollars. And, you know what I mean? And we lost millions of lives around the world. We lo- we, we ruined our place in the, wor- in the global standing of nations. It was a travesty. I don't agree with it. But that doesn't divorce the fact that people, actual human capital, is still suffering those effects. And, you know, whether I don't know what everybody's reasons were for joining. You know, I joined because I was a poor kid, you know, in a family of 11 children, immigrant family. And we had absolutely no way to send me to college. And, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where people were dying every day from drugs and violence. And the military for me was a way out. So that's why I joined. It wasn't some, you know, unabiding sense of patriotism. I was poor as hell. And they offer you free college and free food and free you know, healthcare and a paycheck and to travel the world. What am I going to do? Stay in the hood? No, I was like, all right, I'll join. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm not a leftist who happens to be a veteran. I'm a leftist because I was a veteran. I saw America's foreign policy from the inside out. I was the arm that enacted America's foreign policy. So a lot of people, you know, when I said the nation or the image has been co-opted, you know, there aren't many, you know, leftists who are veterans, especially combat veterans. You know, this thing that I wear on my jacket is a combat infantry badge. You know, I've been shot at more times than, you know, than I can count. I've been blown up. Mm -hmm. I've been hit by RPGs, rockets, the whole nine yards, you name it. I was there. You know, and a lot of people on the left don't like to talk about it, I would assume, because they don't want to, to, I guess, give credence to service or give, you know, lend their voice to service. And like I said, I want to dismantle the military industrial complex. I know what it's truly about, but that does not take away from the fact that there are people suffering right now with issues because of their service, and those people still deserve help. Absolutely. What made you want to run for Congress? Because I saw nothing getting done. God damn it. The first thing they teach you in leadership school in the military is take charge in the absence of leadership. There is an absolute leadership vacuum in all of Congress. All these goddamn corporate Dems, all these these centrist, middle-of-the-road Democrats. You see what is getting us right now. You see what <laughs> middle-of-the-road politics is getting us. There are two middle-of-the-road politicians on, on the Democratic side who are holding up monumental legislation that would lift millions out of poverty. And look what it gets us. It went from a $3 trillion bill down to a $1 trillion bill. It's not going to help anybody. And, and in that bill, there are still goddamn tax breaks for corporations. You know, what I mean, made me want to what made me want to run for Congress is because I'm tired of seeing the same homeless people every year. You know, I was just in Washington, D.C. last week lobbying on the Hill around toxic exposure for veterans, you know, burn, uh, veterans who were exposed uh, to toxic exposure during their service in Iraq and Afghanistan. And literally, this is no joke. Around the corner from the nation's capital, there are homeless encampments right there at Union Station around the station. There are hundreds of homeless tents. There are people who are addicted to drugs right there down the street from our nation's capital. And that's not by accident. You know, that's on purpose. These people, our lawmakers are just oblivious to real life. They're oblivious to what people are actually going through every single day. And I can't sit idly by, you know, while the rich get richer and the poor get, you know, forgotten. So listen, if not me, then who? Do you think that the uh, the Build Back Better bill will ever return in any way, shape, or form now that it's been like, disassociated? Have, not as long as we have corporate Democrats who hold seats of power. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Listen, I call these corporate Democrats low-calorie Republicans because they're the same. <laughs> they're the same. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, listen, they, if you go look up the funding from these super donors, 
They give to Democrats and Republicans the exact same. Just Republicans are proud. They don't hide it. Democrats try to hide it. Imagine Kirsten Sinema going in to Congress with you know a net worth of $50,000, and now her net worth is approaching $2 million. How does that happen on a government salary? How is Joe Manchin driving around in the Maserati on a government salary? How is Nancy Pelosi and them worth hundreds of millions of dollars on a government salary? I'm telling you, bro, it's the same damn thing. They all take the same checks. So as long as we have Democrats who are beholden to corporations, just like Republicans, as long as that majority is in Congress, no, we're never going to get any meaningful legislation passed. We have to divorce money from our politics. We have to elect people who actually have some skin in the game, people who are everyday working people because they understand what it's like to sit around, you know, your table and to look at, I can show you right now, my kitchen table is a mountain of bills, of medical bills over there. My wife has to deal with every time we get them every month until you elect people like that, who actually have to deal with this stuff. We're never going to get any meaningful legislation passed. And I totally agree with you. I just I think that's something we hear. And then I'm also really curious, like, how do we go about that? Because it seems like the if you want to call them corporate Democrats, they they outnumber progressive ones. They outnumber, you know, the the squad and all that kind of stuff. They do, because sadly, I just turned 35 last month. Sadly, our generation is so disenchanted with the whole political, you know, sphere in life that they don't they don't they don't step up to run. Do you realize there are enough young people in every congressional district in this country to swing every election, every time? They just don't vote. The largest block of voters in this country is non-voters, believe it or not. There are 335 million people in this country. 60 million are children, so we'll take them out of the mix. We'll, we'll We'll give them 20 million undocumented. We'll take them out of the mix, right? That's 85 million. Only 100 million, 110 million people vote for the presidential election. Do you realize we have 100 million people, eligible voters in this country who do not vote? Do you realize that is the population size of Indonesia, the fourth most populous country on the planet? There's China, there's India, there's America, and there's Indonesia. Our voting block is the size, our non-voting block is the size of the fourth most populated country on this planet. And sadly, a lot of people are just disingenuous, disenfranchised with the whole process. They don't believe anything can change. But I promise you this, Republicans wouldn't be trying to take your vote. They wouldn't be trying to keep you from voting if they didn't realize how damn valuable it is and how much power you hold. So we have to get our generation. I don't know how old you are, but I'm assuming you're around my age. Yeah. We have to get our, genera- our generation back into the swing of things. We cannot wait till we get... 55, 60 to actually start caring about politics. You know, we're coming up on Medicare age. We can't wait for that long because we won't even have a damn planet to live on if we don't get involved now. The younger generation is super energized, but they don't have the political voice and power we do. The older generation cares, you know what I mean, because they're at that age, but they're more conservative in their thinking, even on the Democratic side. It's our age right now, the ones who are trying to build wealth, the ones who are trying to get married and have families and, and buy houses and put kids through in school that we don't have the time to even think about, you know, midterm elections, but they're really that important. We need to get this generation in the jobs. So you just mentioned uh, the, the piling amount of medical bills you have in front of you. Obviously, Medicare for all, one of the biggest talking points uh, on the left, you know, uh, one of uh, Bernie Sanders' key uh, election campaign um, reforms. What do you think 
is the realistic possibility of getting anything like that even close to the table now? So I want to be clear about something. The term Medicare for all has been co-opted. We don't mm. even know what the hell it means anymore. Let's be clear. We need single payer health care. We need the elimination of private insurance, private health insurance in this, com- in this country. And we need single payer health care, not Medicare for all. You, and this is no diss to you. Nobody can even tell me what the hell that even means. Because, you know, one person, Kamala Harris says one thing, Elizabeth Warren says the other, Pete Buttigieg says something, Bernie's, we need single-payer health care. Because out of the 33 industrialized nations on this earth, 32 offer some form of guaranteed health care. The only one that doesn't is the one we're sitting in right now, the United States of America. As it stands, Bernie Sanders' Senate bill, and I think Jayapal had one in the House, those bills won't. Think about it. Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. We have the House, we have the Senate, we have the White House. Nancy Pelosi could bring the Medicare for All bill to the floor right now for a straight up or down vote. Ask yourself why she's not doing it. So then that will answer your question. As long as money is in our politics, we will not get anything substantive passed for the American people. We need to divorce money from our politics. And we can only do that by electing people to Congress who have that mandate and mantra to take money out of politics. There's absolutely no reason that you should even need a million dollars to run for a public office in this country. What the hell is that? I mean, Senate races are 20 and 30 and $40 million to run for Senate. How that, that literally shuts out everybody. Jay-Z had a line in his song. It was a song by Jay-Z and young Jeezy. I listen to it all the time. Jay-Z said, if money talks, the whole world's about to hear me out. And that line gets me every time. If money is political speech, you're automatically saying that a certain subset of the population will never have their speech heard because we don't have the same amount of money. So what I'm hearing you say is we got to get rid of Nancy Pelosi. Oh, hell yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> oh, hell yes. She should have been gone 15 years ago. Absolutely. Yes. I, if, if I... We're lucky enough to be elected. I would not vote for Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker of the House. Not in one bit. Nope. Absolutely f- not. Do you feel there's like this problem where people, um, and I'm, this is absolutely nothing to do with you, but just people, they when they're running as candidates, for example, they 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 talk a lot of great things like you are right now, right? You're saying like, you know, stuff that I completely agree with. But then once they're inside the system, there seems to be a certain degree of, well, we have to play politics. You know, I can't do so, something at this point in order to make a negotiation later kind of thing. And so there's a, so as you know, I served in the military, right? There was a a concept taught to me 18 years old in the military. It's a foreign concept to a lot of people, but it's called integrity. It's called the hard right over the easy wrong. You know, when I was sleeping in the mountain in Afghanistan, you know, and we were surrounded by people who wanted to kill us. When it was my buddy's turn to get some sleep, he had to trust me at my word with his life. He closed his eyes knowing that I was going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. And I had to put that same trust in him. And when I close my eyes, you are going to do exactly what you say you're going to do to protect my life. That's how I live my life to this day. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I tell you I'm not going to do it, come hella high water, I will not do it. And I promise you, I will not vote for any bill that would affect eight-year-old Isaiah when his family got evicted out of their house. I would not vote for any bill that would affect 25-year-old Isaiah when he was about to commit suicide because he was dealing with PTSD. I would not vote for any bill 
that will damage, you know, my wife who has a pre-existing condition. We need people who actually, that's why I said, actually have skin in the game. Because when you have to go back home and look at constituents who are in the same position as you or who were once or the position you were once in, it's a lot different than, you know, because most of our political you know, people are now there. They all they've been running for office since they were teenagers. They go to the best schools. Mom and dad hook them up with the right internships. They get the right clerkships. They shake the right hand. They scratch the right backs. They get the right funding and they run for office. You know, what I mean, when you have everyday people who run for office, who won't compromise, who won't bend, who won't fold. You know, what I mean, that's what it's going to take for us to change our political landscape. You know, what I mean, I, the Republicans, the one thing I'll give them, they're in lockstep. They voted to repeal Obamacare like 80 times, knowing good and goddamn well it was never going to get repealed. But they did it over and over and over again. And right now, we have Democrats who are holding up monumental legislation because their coal buddies and their billionaire buddies don't want it to get passed. I mean, people talk a good game. They truly do. And there's some who I know. I know a lot of people in Congress personally, and they, they talk a good game and they don't back it up. All I can say is, folks out there is judge me by what I do, not by what I say. And I spend my days and nights and all my waking and free time advocating for those who can't advocate for themselves because their voices are drowned out. And that's the same thing I do. Should I be lucky enough to, to win a seat in Congress? You were talking about how the Republicans uh, operate in lockstep. Do you think that like Biden and uh, Kamala Harris could have done more to push for the Build Back Better agenda because uh, yeah. <laughs> at the time, the it really felt like down the goddamn government because they didn't like the black guy in the White House. They shut the government down. They sh- multiple twice. They shut it down. If they have that kind of resolve, you telling me we just fold the thing about Democrats. They don't have a goddamn spine, a backbone, a set of cojones. They don't have anything to stand up against these Republicans. Their messaging is all wrong. Their branding is horrible. We're fighting, we're running 1950s politics in the 2021 world. They just don't get it. They 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 don't have the wherewithal to fight. And that's one thing that pisses me off. I'm an infantryman. My job was to fight. Stand up, have some conviction, have the courage of your convictions, and know that what you are doing is not just you know, elevating your political status, but it is making an actual difference in the lives of millions, hundreds of millions of people. God damn it. It's not that hard to stand on your convictions. I don't get it. What about the uh, the fight for 15, which obviously died thanks to like cinema and a bunch of other uh, Democrats? Do you think there's any chance to resurrect that in some form? Or do you think it has to be tacked on to say another bill? Well, the fight we no, because we don't need the fight. for The fight for 15 would have been good in 2011. <laughs> True. Right now, if 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 inflation kept up, if wages kept up with inflation, the minimum wage would be around twenty six dollars right now. Fifteen dollars is a floor. It is absolutely not a ceiling, because right now, fifteen dollars after taxes for a forty hour work week, you're gonna make six hundred bucks. After taxes, you're bringing home four hundred fifty dollars a week. You can't survive on four hundred fifty dollars a week. Are you kidding me? We need to. We need to. Right now, we need a twenty one dollar minimum wage tied to inflation so it goes up every single year with the cost of living that's the way it has to be you know what i mean because seven dollars and fifty cent can't get you anything you can't even buy a goddamn number one at mcdonald's for seven dollars and fifty cent it's just not happening so that's that bill we can't again we can't look to the politics of the past we need to live in the here and now and the five for 15 a minimum wage bill we'll call it a minimum wage bill 
you know, that's tied to inflation can be brought up. We just need the right type of messaging. We need to make people understand that this is critical for their livelihood as well as the health of the nation because we can't, the wealth, the wealth disparity is just getting larger and larger and larger and larger. And we can't keep going down this road. Every major empire in human history has failed because they did not take care of home when they needed to. The Romans, the Greeks, the Assyrians, the Turks, the Ottomans, all of them have fallen. America is no different. We're, we're, we're at an impasse right now, and the gulf is getting wider between the haves and the have-nots. And if we don't fix this, you know, look what happened in, in, in France in the, Re the French Revolution. Uh, people in chat are asking what you think about the media and centrist Dems blaming progressives for all these recent losses. <laughs> it's easy because they're escape. Because first of all, so I know a lot of the the progressive Dems, the the AOCs. I know the Jamal Bowmans. I know I could call them the Cory Bushes. I know I could call them, and there's so few of them. You know what I mean? So. They're the easy scapegoats. And a lot of them aren't as boisterous as me. A lot of them, you know, try to to play within the confines of the political realm. But listen, I used to get shot at for a living. So I know life is short and I speak my goddamn mind. Yeah, I mean, them, they're, they're, they're always going to try to make progressives a scapegoat. But guess what? Malcolm X said, if you don't be careful, the media have you hate uh, loving the oppressor and hating the oppressed. They said Martin Luther King was a terrible person. Now we venerate the man. They said Malcolm, Luke, Martin, Malcolm X was a heretic. We venerate the man. They said Marcus Garvey. They said Nelson Mandela. They said all these people were the terrible. They, they called Muhammad Ali the worst names in the world. And now we celebrate this man for his legacy and civil rights. So guess what? It's a lonely island standing up for the right thing, but it's always the right time to do the right thing. Speaking of... Uh... You know, standing up for what's right. Right now is like an unprecedented time in seeing all these union efforts in America, and it's obviously very inspiring to see all this happen. Some of them are succeeding, like uh, the the cab uh, the cab union in New York, uh, and some of them are also failing, like the efforts to uh, you know unionize Amazon. There hasn't been a lot of um, let's just say support coming from. The Democrats uh, vocally, there are obviously individual members, like we just talked about the Progressive Caucus, but like you're not hearing it from any higher ends. Do you think there has to be a push from the Democratic side to help, like to help directly what is happening uh, for the direct action on the streets right now? Absolutely, because I mean, so the the the, the battlefield, so to speak, is wide open. This is an easy layup for Democrats, an easy layup. We always say that we are on the side of the worker, that we're on the side of the every man and the every woman. Why wouldn't we get behind all these workers who are striking for better collective bargaining and in some instances, the right to even collectively bargain right now? This is an easy layup. But again, the Democrats take the same money from the same people. Do you know that my opponent, who I'm running against in New York, takes the most money from Amazon than any other congressional representative in the state of New York? I did not. I, I was going to get into your opponent. Do you want to? Do you yeah. want to start? You know, uh... <laughs> my opponent was one of the the lawmakers that signed the letter urging Amazon to move their headquarters to Long Island City. No way. Did you know her chief of staff is now one of Amazon's lead lobbyists on the Hill? So again, and she's a Democrat in Central Brooklyn. So again, until we get that big money out of politics, the Dems aren't going to say anything. That old mantra is true: you do not bite the hand that feeds you. I live in a very poor congressional district. 
my opponent is not raising a million and a half dollars from Central Brooklyn. I promise you. She's raising it from Amazon and, and ABC or uh, Google and, and, and Facebook and, and, you know, Humana and all these other goddamn big corporations. So it's it, this will be an easy layup. I am saddened to see that Democrats aren't championing this. And we have the House, the Senate and the White House right now, right now. We could bring these bills to the floor. We could draft this legislation to get these things done. Why aren't we doing it? It's because money is controlling our, our politicians. How do you feel about the app economy, just out of curiosity? Because I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding Uber and a bunch of other uh, you know, app economy, basically jobs that take advantage of the workers. They're not, um, they're not salary. They don't come with benefits. And that's obviously become a pretty key talking point in New York right now with Uber going up against uh, the taxis and the taxi union. So I was just curious your thoughts on that. We need, so all workers, all workers need to be able to unionize, all of them. You know I mean, I, I understand that Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and, and Airbnb, they're all disruptors to a traditional, you know, service industry. Airbnb is taking over from hotels. Uber's taking over from taxis and all that stuff. And that's that's big legislation that would need to be looked at with granular detail. And I'm not here going to sit here and gaslight you to say I know every, you know, bit of detail about, you know, the intricacies of the Uber versus taxi fight. But I know that workers on both sides, taxis and Uber, need protections because the gig economy is what kept this nation afloat when we were in the, the, the throes of our pandemic. And the fact that these workers do not have protections, do not have benefits, do not have salaries besides the corporate ones is a shame. Every worker in this country deserves the right to collectively bargain. Every worker in this, this country deserves the right to have protections because we have seen time and time again, employers do not give a damn about employees, as is evident with the largest one of the largest companies in the world, Amazon. They will use you up until they can't use you anymore and they will replace you. And collective bargaining is that buttress that stops the malpractice of misusing workers and mistreating workers. And everyone, every worker in this goddamn country deserves to have collective bargaining in a union. Uh, I really want to ask this. I know it's a tough question because you have military experience. Uh, I think it's an interesting one. Like, the biggest thing I always talk about is obviously the military industrial complex and how the United States gives a very large amount of, uh, you know, what is brought in through taxation directly into private companies that will manufacture weapons uh, and that will just, you know, wreak chaos upon the rest of the world. It seems to be this huge problem that everyone acknowledges is a problem. Like even I've even gotten conservatives before to be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pro military, but I just I'm not really for the, the military industrial complex for these for these manufacturing companies. Right. But it seems like such a juggernaut at this stage like it's so impossibly large how can anyone ever like i don't even hear mainstream lefty politicians talk about it so i was curious what your thoughts were on that and where where even the the potential for discourse could could come in so you can't see this right now off camera but my wife is walking into the closet to grab me my uniform no no way so i want to show folks this because when somebody like aoc says something about the military industrial complex She's, you know, shot down because what does she know? She's a, you know, a, a young girl from the Bronx who was a bartender. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody like Bernie Sanders says something, well, and the, the fact is a lot of people don't say anything because you don't want to ever be seen as going against the troops. You know what I mean? But it's different when I say something because I've been there. I've been inside of that Leviathan. I've seen the sausage get made. And yes, 55% of all discretionary spending in this country 
is spent on the Department of Defense and our military budget. We just got out of a 20-year war, and we increased our military budget by a couple billion dollars, which is insane. So when I speak on this, which I seem to be one of the only people who publicly speaks, you can go look back at stuff I said two years ago, talking about we need to tackle the military-industrial complex because we are spending ourselves into a war a war economy, and we're, we're, we're missing the taking care of people at home. You know, I had my wife grab my uniform. I'm wearing a suit now, but I'm all belled and whistled out. I got wow. everything. Yeah, I've been there, done that, got shot at, got the T-shirt to prove it. The whole <laughs> nine yards. You know what I mean? And people think that, you know, the pharmaceutical industry is large, which it is. They make billions of dollars every year. You know, $70, $80 billion for one company. That's one contract for General Dynamics. They make, they get, and think about this. We say we can't afford to provide paid leave, paid family leave. We can't afford to, you know, to send people to college. We can't afford single-payer health care. Do you realize you just created a whole goddamn branch of the United States military? We just created another branch, the Space Force. <laughs> Think about that. We created Do you understand? I keep, yeah, but I keep forgetting about it because it's so silly. <laughs> but yeah, yes. It is. We just created an entire branch of the United States military right now. It's hundreds of billions of dollars a year that will be devoted to that branch. So you're telling me we can't do the necessary things to help working people and everyday people in this country. I, I, I refuse to believe that. I cannot live in that reality because I don't I don't accept it. I reject it wholeheartedly. People are afraid. Look what happened to the Dixie Chicks. They said something about the war and they, they their career ended. If you ever speak about, you know, soldiers or whatever, you're ostracized and lambasted as, you know, a pariah. But I am not scared to speak about it because I understand that it's out of control and we have to rein it in. And think about this. Two of the people, two people in history who could not have been more diametrically opposed in their view of thinking warned us about the rise of the military industrial complex. Those two people were General Dwight D. Eisenhower, the Supreme Allied Commander and Republican President, in his farewell address. He warned us about the rise of the military industrial complex and Martin Luther King Jr., a Baptist socialist preacher from the South. Both of them warned us about this. And if those two gentlemen can agree on one thing, I think us as the descendants of their legacy in history need to truly pay attention to what the hell they were saying. Is there a way to reframe the conversation then so that it doesn't associate the idea that you're actually trying to like you know, talk shit about America or the military or anything like that. You're actually talking about something completely separate. Like these are private corporations and, and household names like Boeing, for example, that are getting all your tax dollars to go make bombs to to kill children in Yemen kind of stuff. The way to we to reframe the conversation, because, you know, a lot of our foreign policy is done overseas, so you don't really see it. It's not in the news as much. So you don't really understand that we didn't even talk about Africa. There's hundreds mm -hmm. of billions of dollars being spent in AFRICOM right now, which is Africa Command and Eurocom, Europe Command and, and SOCOM and Southern Command and down in South America. We don't even talk about those things. We just only solely think about, you know, the Middle East. The way to reframe it is to make people understand that you have to get your house in order first. You know, we have to take care of home first. The way to reframe it is to go around and look at our roads and our bridges are crumbling, to look at our schools that are failing, to look at our hospitals that are overcrowded, to look at our workers who are overworked and underpaid. That's how you frame it, to make people understand that we have to take care of the American people first. Nobody says we don't need 
a strong defense. But guess what? China's not sending planes over here. They're attacking us cyberly. Russia is not going to send tanks over our border. They're going to try to cripple our power plants. So we need to shift our focus and thinking on how we even defend ourselves. We don't need tanks and bombs and bullets because countries whose economies are interlinked don't fight each other. Russia is not going to attack us because their entire economy is predicated on selling weapons to our allies and fuel to our allies. China's not going to attack us because their entire economy is predicated on Americans buying cheap-ass goods from them and all of our allies. So they won't attack us militarily. They're going to attack us cyberly. So again, we have this 1950s thinking of getting ready for the next Cold War. And 2021 is happening right now. 2022 is around the corner. And our leaders are still thinking in the old way of thinking. So we have to frame this that we need to shift the way we think about politics, our, our place and the geopolitical you know, family of nations, how we defend ourselves, what we spend our money on and how we spend our money in general. What about less bombs means less homeless veterans or something like that? I mean, if that's the slogan you want to put on a goddamn T-shirt, if it works, I'm all for it. <laughs> I don't think it's catchy enough. I got I to gotta shop that one around. <laughs> we spend 13 times more on bombs and bullets than we do on books and backpacks. See, that's fucked. Yeah, it is. You know, our Department of Education is $67 billion. That's how much the Department of Ed gets at the federal level. Yet our military industrial budget is $757 billion. That's unreal. Do you think that this is something that um, is capable of being uh, communicated properly, especially to like, I know it's brought up frequently to conservatives, like, hey, there's a really big problem with homeless veterans. And, you know, they usually don't want to answer that. in any ter- Like, I've heard Charlie Kirk be asked, for example, would you tax Amazon even like, or Jeff Bezos, 1% to pay for homeless veterans? And still you'll get like a, a weaselly answer for that. Do you, do you think there's a better way to make people understand how this overspending on the military could be spent on so many other social programs? Absolutely, because we can look to our brothers and sisters across the, the sea in, in, in England and in France and Germany and Japan and South Korea and all these other countries, Switzerland, Sweden, Hungary, all these other countries who have these robust social programs. And we can scale it up to see how much it would cost for the American people to make them understand that, you know, a hundred billion dollars over 10 years is just 10 billion dollars a year. That is one contract for one for one of these defense contractors you know i mean the fact that we have homeless veterans that should be a misnomer in america but it's not the fact that we have homeless people in this country should be a misnomer because this is the richest nation on earth but you know we spend so much and once you get in that system once you get in there with all those perks and receiving all those kickbacks it's really hard to to come off that drug of political contributions it really truly is and people are addicted to it. Think about this. Nancy Pelosi's in her 70s. Why the hell is this woman still running for office? You've been in office for 40 years. Go enjoy your life with your grandchildren. What are you doing? You're making laws under which you'll never have to live. These people are addicted to being in the limelight. They're addicted to holding power. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. That old maxim is true, too. We need to, we need to have people understand that, again, Every nation around this earth that was an empire, and make no mistake, America's an empire, and we can talk about the hegemony and how to bring that down, but that's a conversation for another day. But we need to understand that we are spending ourselves into a terrible situation. We, this is, it's unsustainable. It cannot be sustained because every single year our defense budget has gone up. And I don't know if you saw the video that I sent 
uh, I posted on my Twitter just this last week. I was in Washington, D.C., on the Hill lobbying. I met with senators on both sides, Republican and Democrat. And, you know, this is me doing my actual job and my work. And the first thing they told us about every every office we walked into, I can tell you I met with senators from a lot of states. I met senators, actual senators and the chiefs of staff. And the first thing they would say is, oh, but the cost of this, taking care of these veterans, the cost of this, the cost of that. And I would always frame it, you're not paying for something additional. You're still paying the full cost of the war that you sent us to and the lie that you told us. You know, this is the back end cost is the taking care of those veterans, the getting them the mental health services they need, the getting them the health care services they need, the getting them the housing and the educational services that they need that you promised them. That's the reason why they joined. Nobody wants to go and get shot at for a living. I promise you, it's not fun to have bullets hitting six inches above your head. Getting your eardrums blown out by IEDs is not fun. But you promised us a certain thing that if we went in your name, we would get it. And the fact that these Republicans and these Democrats, I told you, they live divorced from reality. They don't really understand the plight of the average American person or the average working person or the average poor person or the average immigrant person or the average black person or the average woman. They don't really get it because they live a completely different lifestyle. We have to frame it, you know, excuse me, it's such that this is this. And I know it's cliche to say because you hear it for the American people all the goddamn time. And I myself am sick of saying it and sick of hearing it. But it's the one that's true. We have to do this for the health of our nation. Can you tell me a little bit about your current uh, uh, opponent? Uh, you don't have to make an attack ad. Don't worry. I can. I can. If you need it, I'll do the voice for that. But tell me a little bit about this. Uh, you know, uh, what, what are the issues being discussed? Uh, are you doing kind of like a, a ground uh, support style campaign, uh, similar to like a lot of the other ones we've seen? I guess introduce me to it. So we can't even start uh, campaigning and figuring out our strategy because New York lost a congressional seat. Mm -hmm. So they're actually redrawing all the congressional districts, all 26 of them now. They're going to be redrawing them, and they haven't even put out the map yet. And our election's in June. So we don't even know where the hell we're supposed to campaign at. Wow. Yeah, and they're doing that. They're, They're dragging their feet on that. You know, at least releasing it to us, to the public, they're dragging their feet on that so incumbents can have, like, you know, a better understanding of the, the map and the area than the insurgent opponents. You know what I mean? I don't even, I, I honestly, I wish I could send my team out to start knocking on doors. I don't even know which doors to knock on because we don't even know what areas we're going to be campaigning because they're redrawing the districts. My opponent is a legacy candidate. You know, she she inherited her mother's city council seat worked in that for a few years and then she's been in since 2000 and 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 12 to, excuse me 2006 or 7 so she's been in 14 15 years and most people don't even know Yvette Clark's name she doesn't make noise she doesn't make waves but she sits on a very powerful committee the energy and commerce committee which would be responsible for bringing the healthcare bill to the floor she is the co-chair of the energy and commerce committee why she isn't championing single payer healthcare we all know because she takes hundreds of thousands of dollars every year from the pharmaceutical industry. And anybody can look this up. It's public information. Why isn't she championing clean energy? We know because she takes hundreds of thousands of dollars from coal and gas. Why the hell is the woman from central Brooklyn who, who, who's in Congress taking money from, you know, big sugar in Louisiana? There's no sugar industry in Brooklyn. <laughs> Why is she taking money from defense contractors? There's no defense industry in Brooklyn. 
Why are you taking money from North Dakota, you know, energy companies? There's no industry in energy industry in Brooklyn. What is going on? So she's just one of those go along to get along politicians who just doesn't make any noise, pays her dues, and is just sitting there occupying a seat that somebody could actually be using to fight for, you know, for monumental, fundamental change. That's who she is. Uh, is there a way to unseat her, even though you yeah. don't know what the district is? Yeah. There is a way. Is we it, need people in this, in this district, in my district, we need people to rally behind us and to come out and support. The last time we ran, you know, the, the, the pandemic just knocked everybody on their ass. And we were locked. We were literally locked down for the last five months of the election. We could not go out of the house. You could not talk to anybody. You could not go anywhere. So everything was, you know, on on uh, line. And we still came in third with no money, no support, no ground game. We came in third. We beat we beat members of New York City Council who had a war chest of a million dollars. We kicked their ass because people actually resonated with our message. Now, you know, I'm I'm older, I'm wiser. I got a little bit of gray hair now and I understand what it is to run for office. You know, so now I know exactly what needs to be done. And I and what needs to be done is just to get out there and talk to voters. Just reach voters where they are. Because I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, I promise you, if I ask you, should your child die because you can't afford afford cancer drugs that cost $10,000 a month, you would say no. Well, then you believe in single-payer health care. Do you believe that, you know, somebody should be shot because the color of their skin? No. Well, then you believe in actual criminal justice reform. Do you believe that we should be giving money to other countries for their military industrial complex while we have homeless veterans, no, whether you believe in veteran services and taking care of veterans. All these things that the, the folks on the right tell you that are socialism, that are wrong, I promise you believe in all of them. Somebody just hasn't articulated it to you in a, in a proper manner. If people want to get involved, where can they find you? How can they become a part of the team and make this dream happen? Uh, well, Isaiah for Congress, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find me. You know, the biggest thing. You know, believe it or not, when I ran the first time, I was like, you know, I'm not even going to really tell people I'm running. I'm just going to run. I'm going to be that insurgent that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, how naive I was. And I was like, and I didn't, I didn't fundraise. You know, I didn't try to fundraise. So I'm like, I don't want to ask people for money. People are poor just like me. You know what I mean? I was like, we can do this with just, you know, $50,000. Oh, how wrong I was. You know what I mean? So now I understand that. You need you need to raise funds to even be considered because it's a vicious cycle. If you don't raise funds, then the media will say you're not a, a viable candidate. If the media says you're not a viable candidate, then you can't raise funds because you're not a viable candidate because the media said so because you didn't. So it's just a vicious cycle. So I understand everybody's you know struggling just like me. Don't let this suit top fool you. You know, <laughs> if I reach out right now. I'm wearing Crocs during my interview. <laughs> when I got on sweatpants, I promise you. I'm just a regular dude like you. I'm sitting at my kitchen table. You know what I mean? So if folks can donate, they can go to IsaiahForCongress.com, donate 5, 10, 20 bucks, whatever you can donate. And if you can't, just you know, follow me on social media and help retweet and share the message to get our message out there because six degrees of separation, you never know who our message is going to get in front of. And that person might be pivotal in this race and in this election. I love that. It's like, I'm a man of the people. I've got Crocs. I should. Bro, I, 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 I listen, after this, I'm going, listen, this suit jacket's coming off. I'm going to sit down on my couch. I'm going to watch some Seinfeld. I'm going to eat some dinner. You know what I mean? Listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of those, 
you know, highfalutin, hoity-toity. <laughs> I have this on because I just spoke, you know, at my college alma mater for Veterans Day, and I had this on, and it just ended. I was like, oh, damn, I got the other interview. So I just took off the tie and threw it over there. But I got on sweatpants and Crocs under this, bro. Oh, well, Zaya, I don't want to keep you from your Seinfeld episodes. Uh, I thank you yeah. very much for coming on the show, though. That was an absolute pleasure getting to know you. And uh, Thank you so I, much for having me. I'm I'm looking really forward to uh, to what comes. Uh, and, and oh, one last question: Can people volunteer yeah. if they want as well through your website? Absolutely. Just uh, go to isaiahforcongress.com. You can sign up for you can sign up to volunteer. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can do all that stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Have yourself a great day. Thank you. Oh, that was a great way to end an otherwise pretty uh, like depressing stream. Just watching Kyle Rittenhouse stuff for like what was it three hours worth? It was a, it was almost three yeah it was like three hours of Kyle Rittenhouse stuff, man. Um, but yeah, uh, if you didn't know, Isaiah James actually uh, used to appear on the Michael Brooks show. I think that's how I first discovered him way back in the day. So he's been involved in politics for a long time. How do you take on the military industrial complex? In oh my God, he asked the exact same question. <laughs> first of all, right now. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> just right out of the gates first thing he says that's oh that warms my heart that's great so you've just been listening to an episode of the surf times and if you enjoy it and want to see the surf times you can go to wearesurfs.com or watch the live shows at thesurfs.tv and also everywhere social media is sold basically thesurfs.tv you'll find us there twitter.com slash thesurfstv for example It would also help us out tremendously if you could leave a good review of this podcast if you enjoyed it, either on, I don't know, iTunes or wherever you're podcasting. Apparently it does help, and yeah, we hope to see you soon. To our gods, Xander Corvus and Peyton L. Just, we will build a ladder to heaven to deliver you the daily news. To our monarch, Tom Spiker, we are your most humble of clownish jesters. To our lords, Trevor R. and Alexander Thaler, you have our undying fealty. To our knights of the round table, Nate, that one guy, Hagbird Celine, Matthew Scarborough, Stellar Vision, Ariana McCarthy, Daniel Sutton, Ants are still running the world, Coulter Smith, Tom Grow, Val 9000, Jenna Tal, Quiet 185, Anna Loves Riley, Riley and Anna, Omni, Poodlehawk. The Tim Caucus, Multimondi, Trevor Janis, Lemmy 101, Anthropophojack, Saren 42, Chronic to Hemphog, Catherine, Radical Maniac, Ramon Acosta, Incosin, Violent Orchard, Sophie Baby, Political Puppy, Andreas Chiringuito, Zach Christensen, Josh Mickelson, Todd Buckingham, and Todd Lajanus. We shall meet you in the tavern, and we raise a drink, and we salute you. 